Mentorship Keeping It Real, where we feature entrepreneurs and enterprise leaders who share their great ideas in our guest blog, found on ShareYourStories.online. Our guest is Diana Bishop, an international award-winning TV news correspondent, author, interviewer, and personal branding expert. We're going to discuss not only her award-winning career, but how you successfully transition to the next chapter. And Diana joins us from Collingwood, Ontario. Welcome. Hi, Trish. Boy, with that intro, thank you. <laughs> Listen, I have to say, you know, sometimes when we hear those bios and we think, wow, really? But your career has been absolutely phenomenal. Well, it meant a long time too. So. <laughs> <laughs> that doesn't count. Yeah. But I think one of the reasons why uh, folks are so drawn to you and your story, Diana, is because I think you've been a maverick in your industry. When we think back to when you first started, sharing stories, you know, being a journalist behind the camera, in front of the camera. So what was that like starting out your career and obviously having a passion for sharing stories? Well, you know, actually, it's, it's you know, and you'll understand this being such a storyteller yourself and, and love with stories. And the storytelling was the heart of my life right from the very beginning because I came from a storytelling family. I had my grandfather, my father, my brother. They've all written multiple books, and they were all journalists uh, in their day in some form or another. So it was kind of a natural thing. I really did grow up, you know, three things that were really interesting to me, and that was hearing. I was obsessed with hearing people's stories. Uh, and I wanted to tell people stories, and then I wanted to help people to help people tell their stories. Right. So it took me actually a little while to figure out what would be the right vehicle for me to do that. But um, I originally got a degree in uh, French, to be honest, because I always wanted to speak. Wow! Which sort of worked out in my next the chapter that we're going to talk about later. Um, but. Uh, I'll, then I went back to school and got a journalism degree. And right out of journalism, I got picked up by the CBC, Canadian Broadcast Corporation, and in Montreal. So I got to use my French there. And I, you know, I worked my tail off. off. Yeah. <laughs> I worked to work my way through being a journeur reporter, you know, just a regular um, uh, reporter in Montreal. Got lots of things going on in Quebec at that time. But I moved up to a uh, parliamentary correspondent, so was a national correspondent. Then I went to China and was Beijing bureau chief, went to New York and, and worked there, and then got picked up by the American networks too. So I literally did everything that I ever wanted to do in that regard. And, you know, when I look back at that career now, I mean, it was a blur. You can't imagine the hours that journalists, especially television reporters, put in. Uh, you don't really have a lot of time for anything else. But you are sort of a fly on the wall meeting all these extraordinary people. Mm -hmm. And when you think of, you know, there aren't too many jobs in the world where you as an ordinary person can actually, you know, travel with the prime minister or meet Nelson Mandela or Celine Dion or, you know, Betty Friedan or, and on and on and on. And I got an opportunity to do all, all those things. And I never took it for granted because it was such a remarkable um, gift to be able to do those things. And of course, all I wanted to know was to hear their stories, right? Sure, yeah. for sure. Yeah. But you know, what's really intriguing to me is the Rolodex that you must have acquired over 25 years in broadcast journalism. I mean, you know, you've mentioned some pretty credible names there. And I wouldn't think that you would, you know, you want to end the conversation off air, you know, the, the, the conversation finishes, you finish the interview, and then you have an opportunity to actually chat one-to-one -one with these people, like getting the human side of the story. Yeah. So what was that like? Because I don't think as 
folks who watch the news, we have any appreciation what, for what goes on behind the scenes. No, and you're absolutely right. The inside stories are much better than the stories that you see. Right. But I, you know, I can give you an example because it was something that happened. But when I, I was a new reporter in Montreal, and there was a national reporter there, and uh, uh, the Prime Minister Trudeau, the father, Justin's father, Pierre Trudeau, he was retiring from being Prime Minister twice. It was 1984, and he was going back to his career as a lawyer, mm -hmm. and he was going to be working out of Montreal and walking back and forth between his beautiful home on uh, Mont Royal. Anyway, um, they wanted somebody to go, the journalist to go, and just find out what his first day was going to be like, right? So the national reporter, who was a lovely person, just said, well, listen, that's just too small a story for me to do why don't you get one of them and he was you know he was right really but um for him it was like old hat to to see trudeau he said let's send one of the the junior reporters and of course i was it terrified I oh for sure um however i'd read everything about I, this man just you know in journalism school and stuff so we go to the office and we they there are so many journalists there with cameras and everything you know print reporters tv reporters radio reporters and his room where he well his office was so small that they could only take in a maybe about 10 to 12 people at a time so they herded us in in groups so of course i i hang back because <laughs> i'm terrified and go into the room as the last group and I'm at the back with my cameraman who's kind of looking at me like, you better move forward. Well, it was so small that literally even that was only five feet from him. So the French reporters, the protocol in Quebec is that the French reporters have to uh, go first, right? That's This is the way it works. So I'm listening and it's not really a lot to ask him, you know, it's just like, what kind of law are you going to practice and you're going to do this full time and et cetera, et cetera. So he's answering the questions. He looks bored already <laughs> with them. And then all of a sudden he says former prime minister says, is there an English question? And I'm looking around hoping there's another English reporter, you know, from the Gazette or something. No, nobody. So my cameraman just pushes me right to the front of the, and I'm literally, you know, a foot from him and, and he's sitting at his desk and I'm going, what am I going to ask him? Right. So I don't know where this came from, but I sort of said, well, Mr. Trudeau, um, you know, I know from reading about you that you were a lawyer before you became prime minister and you thought that was a pretty boring job. And are you going to find this boring after everything you've done? Well, you could have heard a pin drop because everybody the French thought I'd really offended him. Right. And I was just being real going, this has got to be a real letdown after being prime minister. Right. Well, he looked at me and at first he looked as if he was a bit shocked. And then he started to laugh. And he laughed for a good 10 seconds, you know, just like one of those really haughty, arrogant laughs that he had. And that was it. And he said, well, maybe I will find it boring. So anyway, we're, we're tearing down and I'm just hanging my head thinking, well, I really blew it. That's the only clip. I go back to the office and hand it in and say, this is not good. I'm really sorry. It goes down the pipe because it goes across the country. And all of a sudden I get a call from Toronto from the, the news desk. And they said, who are you? And I went, well, you know, that, that, uh, and uh, they said, that was fantastic. We've never seen him laugh like that. Great question. So the question was better, better than the answer. So that was sort of the beginning of, you know, you, these things sort of happened. Right. And, um, and one quick story was, I, you know, I was down covering the prime, uh, president, uh, George Bush Sr., and I was staying in Kennebunkport where he had his home. And it was very late at night. I'd gone to bed about 2 a.m. It was really hot in my room. Didn't have any clothes on. Okay. 
So anyway, at 6 a.m., the phone rings. Thank God we didn't have the, the kind of technology. We that, yes. <laughs> and it's Pamela Wallen who's doing Canada AM. And she, she's saying, we have Diana Bishop on the line from Kennebunkport. What is the president and the prime, because he was with the prime minister, prime minister doing this morning? <laughs> and I'm lying there completely naked on my bed going, um, I think they're out fishing, <laughs> you know, or whatever. And I got through it. But all I could think of is there I am lying, lying, you know, absolutely naked on my bed. Well, there's about maybe a couple of million people listening, listening. the country. You know, those are the kind of stories that wow. you never forget. And we all have them. So, for sure, for yeah. sure. so that's what that, those things were fun. As I say, it was an amazing career. I, I don't even realize how lucky I was. You right, know? right. Yeah. Now, mm -hmm. how did you transition then from mm -hmm. being a, you know, a global personality, really? I mean, I, I think in today's day and age, even the people who are interviewing and the correspondents are global personalities in their own right. They so how did, yeah. yeah, for sure. So how did you go from you know, being in front of the camera and saying, okay, I've been sharing stories for the last 25 years. Now I want to share some different types of stories. How did you transition to the next chapter? Well, it's a good question. I started to feel that I, something was missing. And I think this happens. Like, you know, this really is a story. My story is a story of reinvention. Um, I was missing something and I couldn't figure it out for a while. And in that time, I met the queen too. I just have to say, because, you know, how sad that we'd lost yes. her, but you know, uh, I, I was actually very lucky to, to have been presented to the Queen, and that was quite the story, too. But wow. anyway, coming back to that, it took me about three or four years to say, you know what, I wanted to go from, and it was as simple as this, journalism is all about finding what's wrong in the world and then hoping that people will take action to fix it, right? right? We are sort of the, the observers and the reporters. I wanted to do something where I was actually helping somebody write their story in a way that would be very successful. And once that light bulb went on, that's when I knew I had to, to jump out. Now, it's never easy. You know, I was approaching 50. Um, and I'm thinking, am I crazy? I'm at the top of my field. Uh, but it just kept nagging at me. And I think that happens to us, especially as women. Mm -hmm. You know, we get to that point where it's just like, this is not working anymore. We don't know why. And it may not make sense to our friends either, or people we know. But for us, it's like, okay, there's something I've got to do. So my mother died during all of this, which just says she was my best friend. And it kind of cemented that I really did need a change. Mm -hmm. So the thing that came to me was that I was a success storyteller, really. I like telling people success stories. So I called my business the Success Story Program. And I just went out there and, you know, started networking, which, of course, I'd never done before, business networking, which is a great, wonderful uh, thing to do. I just never mm -hmm. knew how cool that was going to be. You've done lots of that, I know. And um, people started coming to me and saying, I need help. And then one thing led to another. So now, and now I've almost done that 20 years. Um, I have worked with, you know, executives, entrepreneurs, ballet dancers, dragon den pitchers, uh, beauty pageant contestants, heart surgeons. It doesn't matter because everybody has a story. For sure. Yeah. And For I've sure. just helped them tell it better, um, you know, enhance their reputation through their story, something you understand. 
and also uh, maybe even create new products to take to market, which has become a really fun thing for me to do. Well, and I think one of the things that you touched on is, you know, we're living in a different world now. I mean, the world of media has changed significantly. And, you know, I think back of when I started, you know, my very first company <laughs> in 1993, the only forms of media were traditional, like magazine, um, you know, newspapers, radio. And that was really expensive as an entrepreneur. I mean, there was absolutely no way you could afford to get that kind of reach. No. So I love the brand uh, experience that you're providing to folks mm -hmm. because now you can give them all kinds of options and different assets that they can yeah. use to tell yeah. their story, right? Yeah. I mean, the old newsletter, right, that companies used to now is now the blog, right. you know, and even right. that's, you know, probably out, out of date in some ways, although I write one now. Um, but, you know, you're right. Everything changed. Right. And For it sure. made it much more accessible to the individual person to market themselves. And I think that's probably the biggest thing that's changed right. is the personal brand has has grown a lot in the last 20 years. For sure. Um, we didn't talk about personal branding before that. No, no. It was all about the corporate stuff. Right. So, you were tied to the corporate logo. Yeah. Um, and which is the reason why I love this platform, because you get to share the stories of the person behind the logo, exactly. which I think is really important. I know. Now, one of the things that you mentioned is writing a blog. And I must say, I am a subscriber to your blog. Oh, you are. And I'm grateful. <laughs> and I absolutely love because I, too, have a passion for the location which you blog about and that mm -hmm. you spend some time living in this wonderful mm -hmm. place called Paris. Paris. So tell us a little bit about how did the blog come about? Mm -hmm. And it, it's a bit of a story, too. And again, it's a story of reinvention. I wrote um, a personal memoir. In, uh, which was published in 2017 called, and I have it here just so because I can sometimes can't remember the title, <laughs> Living Up to a Legend, My Adventures with Billy Bishop's Ghost. Because that's my background. My grandfather right. was- I was just going to say he was your grandfather. Yeah. 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 First World War, I didn't know him, but he, uh, he influenced my life completely because there was always something to live up to in my family. My father had that same experience. So I decided I'd write about that and get that off my chest. And it, it, you know, it was a remarkable um, gift to have the time to do that and make the time, but also afterwards hearing from all the people who, you know, so many of us grew up with parents that went through the two world wars, came back with a lot of trauma because mm -hmm. post-traumatic stress disorder was not something anybody talked about. It was shell shock or whatever. Um, and it affected us as children. You know, we, we, we took on some of their, their trauma. So I wanted to write about that. Then after that, I had, I went, I had, I got depressed and I couldn't figure out why. And it was because it had taken so much out of me that I thought, what now? You know, what do I do with my life now? Is that it kind of thing? Well, you know, I know to be patient because reinvention is about being patient and letting it happen. And I started to think about, I'm getting older how do I want to, to age in this next chapter? I call it my fourth chapter, okay? My first chapter was the family story. The second chapter was the career and the communications. Third chapter was my own story. And then this chapter is the fun story. So it started with woman of a certain age because I thought, you know, even if I'm 90, I can call myself a woman of a certain age. I Absolutely. Want elderly or senior or senior plus or whatever. I hate that. But I thought, I'm going to be a woman of a certain age, and I'm going to stay that way until the last breath. But then I thought, where do I want to go most in the world with the rest of the time I have? And I just kept, Paris just kept coming back. Because I spoke French. I lived there for some time. Um, I go back every chance I get to reconnect with myself. Oh, and, isn't that amazing? And that was when I went, 
I need to write about that. That was your aha moment. It was. It took a while, but it just like, you know, you wake up one morning and going, that's because I keep going back there to find who I am again when I get a bit lost. Paris has that effect on a lot of people, especially mm -hmm. women. We just get nurtured there. Mm -hmm. It's a bit of a fantasy. It right? is for sure. Absolutely. But it, it, we grew up with that fantasy mm -hmm. women. You know, we grew up with Chanel number no. five and Bridget Bardot and, you know, the image of the perfect Parisian woman, which does not exist and all of those things. But I thought I want to write that the magic of Paris through this chapter of our lives and get women to engage in this community. So I've been doing that now since 2018 and have quite the following. I mean, to much to my own surprise. And it's grown now into a number of different things. It's, you know, I have a, a book club um, where I review only books written by women about Paris and France. And it turns out it's the only list in the world now. Wow. Yeah, so it's on my website, which is great fun. So women approach me when they write a book. For sure. Or something about Paris. Um, you know, I have a series, Women of Global Interest, this mm -hmm. year. Which interviewing remarkable women not about Paris necessarily but about uh, you know being this age and in fact next week I'm interviewing a photographer Susie Lang from New York she's Australian but she's only photographing now women over 60 and the pictures are incredible so we're gonna celebrate the beauty of women of a certain age so that's happening but the big thing that I'm doing is I'm starting the Paris fan club in uh, 2023 which is going to be a club where you can join a subscription, right? And there'll be a live events to do fun things like really learn how to tie a scarf with a French woman. And <laughs> we're all going to do it together or how to do a French uh, dinner party or whatever. So live events, share our stories about Paris. It'll be a real community. And then they get, also get a, a travel kit. Like I, the people are always saying, well, what do you take when you go to Paris? Mm -hmm. I said, thanks. Yeah, things like I have my own luggage tag. Right, right. I have a tote bag. Tote bags are huge in Paris right now. Yep. I have, I've designed all this stuff. Isn't that <laughs> fantastic? I know, even a wine thing, you know, when you go and visit somebody. Yes. So there's about 12 things in that package and they get that as part of the program and are part of the, the package. And then we'll have all sorts of resources um, that people can find, to, you know, if you want to buy lingerie in Paris or you know, all things that you wouldn't normally be able to. I was just going to say, that's the thing that I really love about your blog and what you share is oh, that it's the real life uh, per, yeah. of the Parisian folks. You know, like you take folks to the local market or yes. you take them to the local bakery or, you know, you show the attractions that are perhaps a little off the beaten track. Yes. Which give people an opportunity to see a totally different flavor of Paris yeah. because, well, you know, we all know what the, the tourist attractions are. Exactly are. Um, yeah. But if you want a, to live a life in the day of a Parisian, mm -hmm. then I've been jotting down some notes for my next trip to Paris so that, you know, I can go <laughs> to visit some of the places that you yeah. mentioned in your blog. No, and that's exactly what I'm trying to do is give you kind of a the street level view right. of what it's like to li live there, go there, you know, spend a, two days there, whatever it is. Right, yeah. right. Because and also you realize what it does for you. For sure. That's really the big part of my blog is that it really does nurture us. I think the fantasy is what is as important as the reality, because I think, you know, to your point, um, Chanel has been my inspirational mentor since I was in high school. Right. And I can remember the first time I went to her atelier on Rue Chambon and I, oh, yeah. I talked the security guard into letting me go to that famous, you know, mirrored staircase. 
And I actually got my photo taken on the staircase. Oh, you're lucky I still found that myself. Yeah, seriously. It was one. And to your point, it's a highlight for me. You know, I have the picture. um, You know, I have it in my home so that every every morning I see it. And it just gives me such joy to be able to experience something that really making that connection between the inspiration and the reality. Oh, well, thank you. I mean, you know, like I'm thinking of Chanel too. One of the things blog I wrote very early on was going to buy a red lipstick. Uh-huh. You know, because women, French women all wear red lipstick. That's right. And I just thought, oh, well, red lipstick is never going to look good on me. So my trip to the Chanel store was quite interesting because, you know, the, the, the woman who was serving me had absolutely no interest in serving me, and, you know, but I had to try most of them myself. But, but then when I put it on, oh my God, I felt totally I kind of different, felt right? Totally different. I could yeah. see it. And then when I went to buy it, I mean, it was like, I don't know, three times what it would cost me to buy it here. Um, you know, the, the, you had to go into a room and there was a big table and the woman was sitting there and it like took an hour for her to put it in a little bag and charge me for it. And it, it was an experience. I was just going to say, it's all about the experience, experience. right? So, yeah, for sure. Yeah. And that's what I love about France and Paris is that everything about their life is making it an experience. Which is wonderful because, mm-hmm. at, you know, at, to, to your a certain age and stage, that's what we're looking for is the experiences, to be quite honest. As we get older, that's... You know, the, the time is finite, so we want to enjoy every minute we can. Yeah. If, if our viewing and listening audience could get a few tips from you on how to successful, successfully transition from that full-time career, you know, everybody's going to have a light bulb moment at one point in time mm-hmm. that's going to say, okay, we need to do something different. Yeah. How do you sort of take the leap of faith and sort of cross that line in the sand that we've sort of arbitrarily given each other in terms of our career because I think the definition of career has changed so So, what what sort of tip could you give to someone who's perhaps thinking that they're in that place of transition or reinvention is there something that you can give them that they can think of or use that would be really beneficial as they cross over into a new career or new chapter yeah and I just touched on it briefly but it really is you have the dream first right but even before the dream be patient that the dream is coming. Like, don't force when you're feeling nagged at that something is not right. Don't try to figure it out. In other words, take some time and go away or do something because it will come to you. And that I had to learn how to trust. Right. Because every time it happens to me now, I just go, okay, it's gonna, I'm gonna figure it out. It's gonna work itself out. It's gonna work itself out. But once you have that, you are in a process where you're gonna start to make it happen, and you just have to be to take the steps. And I think that's really important. Points, the sweet spot that's kind of like, I don't like being in it, but it is always necessary to go to that next step. And I think, you know, for women like you and I who have been in careers for our entire life, and we all make, you know, sacrifices along the way in order to put our time and energy into that, we're not very patient. No, we, and we want, we want time to go faster, just get it done. Right. So as I say, I, and sometimes, you know, it works out because it's the summer or something. So you just say, okay, for the summer, I'm just going to put everything on the back burner. And it's amazing how that works, you know, so it, true. Just, it just comes. So true. Yeah. One of the things that we do in our guest blog, <laughs> Diana, is that we ask folks to share three words of advice. And I wonder if for our viewing and listening audience, you can give them some insight into your three words, which are dream, invent, and believe. Yep. Right. So as I say, that sweet spot before 
you know, the, the dream mm -hmm. is that, you know, know that there always is going to be another dream, right? Know that once you know what the dream is, that it is, you will invent it. That the how is not that important. It's the dream that's important because the steps will come to you. And so you just let it reinvent itself. Mm -hmm. But then you've got to believe, you know, there is a, a gap there too. Sometimes you're going, is this really going to work? Yeah. Well, you know what? If you're excited about it, believe in it. And the belief will take you there. That's such a wonderful way to uh, wrap up our conversation uh, today. And I really want to thank you for spending some time with me and with our viewing and listening audience, because, you know, I don't think that as the storyteller, you get to tell your story very often. And mm -hmm. we're very appreciative that you've done that. <laughs> no, thank you. You're yeah. right. It's, a, it's always wonderful to talk to, to you. So thank you so much for the opportunity. And thank you. And, you know, to all of the young ladies and women who have been watching your career over the years, um, you know, being a maverick in an industry is really a tough thing to do. And I'd like to thank you for making all of those brave steps uh, to step outside the box and to do things a little differently and pave the way for the people who have come behind mm -hmm. you, making it a little bit easier for them. Well, thank you. Yes. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. I'm almost a little bit blushing about that. <laughs> oh, well, that, that's a nice way to end up. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Thanks again. And to you, our viewing and listening audience, I'd like to thank you for joining us in this edition of Keeping It Real, where we introduce you to the person behind the logo. I'm Trish Tonai, founder and host for the series. And if you're interested in sharing your business story, visit our website at shareyourstories.online. Thanks again for joining us. And we look forward to meeting you next time when we share another great idea.